welcome to today's episode of Strata Originals. As the name implies, we speak with true originals and we take you to the next level. These are leaders who stand out by the lessons and stories they share to inspire us, entertain us, and teach us. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also watch the video podcast of these episodes on YouTube at Strata Originals. So fasten your seatbelts, ensure your tray is in the upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Your in-flight host, Leanne Vicaro. We're going to talk to Suleiman Ahmed, who I have a hard time not calling Yoda. Suleiman is a serial entrepreneur. He is the co-founder and runs um, Servo Annex, which is what I'll call a digital intelligence company. Would that be accurate? I like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's good. I just made it up. (laughs) So welcome. Thanks. Um, We usually start with an icebreaker. So let me ask you this. If you had to live in any sitcom, which one would it be? I would say the one that probably uh, strikes the best, but aside what happened to maybe some of their characters or folks would be the Cosby show. Oh, yeah. um, but without Bill Cosby, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, just because of the fact of how him, his wife and his family were, were integrated together yeah. and how they operated in the highs and lows of life and that kind of thing. So we're going with the Cosby's. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, just the family dynamic, because our family dynamic with my wife and my kids is the same. And, you know, we're both professionals. Our kids are growing up now and stuff. And so it's, you know, our eldest is in university. The other two are still a little bit younger, but still, I, I would say that one probably fits. So let's talk a little bit about how your digital life, and first, let me explain why Suleiman is actually Yoda. So as a digital coach, he if I need to know anything uh, about digital that you haven't already taught me, you are my go-to person. Um, And you've achieved so much through um, helping executives and CEOs gain digital intelligence and really how to use LinkedIn, uh, how to use other digital platforms, how to make the most of YouTube. So where did that all start and when? Oh, wow, that would have been over 12, 13 years ago. I mean, I'd always had a background for teaching or coaching. I always loved that, you know, seeing that spark in someone's eyes when they get it. And I even recall when I put myself through university, I worked as a flight attendant with Air Canada. And do you remember the Palm Pilot back then, like with the stylus? So I I would actually, I ended up getting one and on these long flights where you didn't have like endless television or satellite TV or phones or internet, you play one show and everyone watches it and that's it. So what happened was um, I would actually teach executives on the flights, how to use the Palm Pilot. Yeah, no. And and it was funny. And then, and then I got to network and then these, you know, these executives would be giving me their cards because I was going to school and then they'd be like, once you're done, call me. Cause you know um, so that those are kind of, and then coaching soccer, I'd done that for years and continue to do that. And then a few years later, you know, we kind of stumbled on the situation where we realized that people in the C-suite or at the board level, 
they know the digital, social, all these things are important, but they don't know where to start. You know, and one of her first clients, she said, I'm boxed in. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know. My staff know I don't know. I know they know I don't know. And she's like, I, I, you know, when I'm not working, I'm at home with my family. So I don't have time to go to, you know, to Harvard or U of T or wherever, because, you know, I don't have time and B, my needs are different at a C-suite level than another level. And I don't want to, I, I can't necessarily go to the agencies or vendors because the problem is, is that um, they're going to try and sell me stuff that, 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 that I don't need. So the question becomes, what, where, where do I go? What do I do? And, and, and so what we realized was that there wasn't anyone really out there that wasn't trying to sell this stuff, but actually teach it. So that's when we figured out, here's an opportunity. And then so my wife and I launched our firm and it's now been, we're closing in on 10 years now where we've been working with CEOs and executives like yourselves, where we're teaching them the stuff because it, it's a bit intimidating. And if you can demystify it and show them, here's how you can harness this power. These are not stupid people. They're very intelligent people. And once you show them, not that you need to be an expert, but you know which questions to ask. That just, it's awesome. And they just, they're on their way. And, and my view is, is that attitude reflects leadership. And so leadership has to show and, and, and know which questions to ask, you know, in order to inspire and motivate the people. Um, you know, you can't just, you know, refer to it as that, the Facebook or listen to one podcast or blog, and then you're an expert on it. And particularly yeah. with your leadership team, with your employees or the board, because they may know even less, right? So, and, yeah. and if anything has proven the last two Hi. years with COVID is that um, it's even more important Still now. Still on it. <laughs> I think Siri is talking and I'm not quite sure I why. I didn't get that. So I don't know what's <laughs> going on here. Uh, let me shut this off. I don't know if we're going to re-record now or you're probably going to leave this in. You so. keep this in there, aren't you? You're definitely oh, keeping yeah. this in there. So uh, you were saying... Um, no, so so that's kind of where we're at, and 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 um, you know I love what we do because uh, you know I get a world class education working people smarter than me. You know I don't think you can as an educator teach something unless you listen first and understand that. So like for example, a lot of our clients are in financial services or capital markets or venture capital, private equity, and I'll tell you, Leanne, I got a D in finance in undergrad. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm, now I'm working with people that are a lot smarter and it's because they know what they do, but we just teach them that digital element or entrepreneurs or you know, people involved with organizations like YPO or EO. I mean, it's, we've been very fortunate. And so that's, that's kind of, and it's just grown. So we're, we're very thankful and folks like you and Alan have been big advocates of ours over the years. And so that's certainly been, been helpful. And you guys have been clients as well. And that, that shows, I think, to your credit, a natural curiosity to, you know, a desire to learn, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I would say that's a key element that separates leaders from, from managers is that natural curiosity and desire to learn and improve. Yeah. And, you know, at the time that, that you started teaching me, I mean, I guess there was a base level of knowledge probably yeah. that we had that maybe other CEOs and executives didn't have only because we part of what we did was social, but I could honestly say I've never done social for anybody. So, you know what I mean? So I had sort of that high level, yeah, you have to do this, but I didn't know things to the level of what you were, you were teaching me. 
So I was an eager learner. I, I'm a good student though, um, and I'm very open. And you must run into CEOs and executives that say, yeah, my secretary handles that. We, we do, um, but our model's a bit unique in that we only take clients on referral of client. So we don't do RFPs, we don't, you know, uh, and, and that's okay. And maybe that's a function of they don't understand it. And it could be after we work together, they still want someone to help manage it for them because their schedules are busy. That's fine too, that's a choice. Or they have an agency, like you guys run that stuff for people. Um, it really depends. Our point is, is you need to know the questions to ask. You need to have a mastery and an understanding because you can't walk in a room and fake it. They'll know right away. Yeah. And and I would argue that, you know, the days of management by walking around don't apply anymore. Even post-COVID, as we get out of this thing, um, you have to be able to engage people, your clients, your partners, your vendors, your constituencies online. If you're not there, then that's a problem. And, uh, and that's where there's been a significant amount of demand. And it's not changing, right? Like it's just growing and there's, it's going into different areas. And so a lot of the curriculum that my colleague Amanda develops for our firm um, is continues. It comes from the clients. Like the other day, a client was starting to ask us about the metaverse and how do I learn that? Another client was asking us about the dark web. So then we build out curriculum based on that, based on what they want to know. Um, and, and I think the, the difference for us, quite frankly, is, I mean, in addition to our team, it, our phenomenal towards the curriculum they develop, um, you know, we're not selling. We're, we're just, we're trying to provide them with the information that they need to know at that level to help enable them to have confidence and a mastery on the topic that they, they can discuss it when it comes up in the boardroom or in a key meeting with the client or something. So if, if there was one thing you could say to a CEO, this is the one thing you can do that on digital or LinkedIn or whatever that you can't do if you're not there. What, what would um, that be? I, it depends. I, I actually, I reverse it. I start to find out what's important to them before I tell them what, what they can do. You know, for example, maybe they, maybe they, they don't need the, they don't need clients. Maybe their pipeline's great. Maybe they have more than enough business. They're just trying to manage with, but maybe their issue is recruitment. They don't have enough talent to help run the organization, or maybe they're, they're trying to deal with government relations or media because that's an issue that's facing them in advocacy efforts. It depends on the situation. What we try to do is ask a lot of questions first to find out what matters to them. And then once we know that answer, then we can say, well, have you, are you open to this possibility that it can be leveraged for X or Y or Z? Um, and, and, and I would say the biggest thing is, is why is it important for them? If, if the CEO or the leader is not engaged or just wants to delegate it off for someone, quite frankly, we don't take those engagements because they're not successful. I guess I was thinking that post COVID, um, no. what so many people, so many more people are on, on digital. And yeah. I mean, that was how we were communicating, even as far as how we're recording is still on digital. So it's this mass acceptance. And, and I guess I just thought it, it really, and I know the first time you said it to me, it really resonated with me was the, um, the digital intelligence, like just what you can gain from yeah. knowing what to do on digital to find out about the person you're meeting for dinner, to find out about that person who approached you for a job. So if you don't know how to use it, it's a tool like everything else, right? Right. Well, it's it, that term actually, and, and I, I can't take credit for it, it was actually came from, 
from Steve Croft, uh, who's a CEO in Winnipeg, um, that, that that I know, and and he was the one who actually one day we we're having dinner, and he said, "You actually don't teach social media." And so I was kind of like, "Well, then what do I do?" He's actually like, "You actually teach digital intelligence." And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, like, you know how to show someone how to connect the dots to get to whether it's raising capital, whether it's, you know, business development, whether it's recruitment, whether it's advocacy or, you know, government relations or public relations, whatever the, the outcome is. And, and that's where it comes into. It's not about posting something and going viral. Like we're not looking to be the Kardashians. Well, maybe some people are, but you know, that's where I think that those pieces come into play and whether that's for business or advocacy work or giving back, um, that's where, how you can leverage these tools. And I think the key is to give people confidence to show them they can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, a hundred percent. That's what it is. Um, I mean, the one thing that stands out for me is we had just started maybe, I think in September um, and then January, the, your day-to-day kind of exploded. I think that was 2016, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So, and and this is where for me and not having lived your life, this is just Leanne's view. This is what, where for me, your work business world crashed down or crashed up maybe, um, combined with your um personal life so your personal life your family life came together with your digital life yeah so can you just can you just talk about that for a minute so for 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 your viewers and stuff um what happened was uh um, when our son we have three kids so when our son adam was born um post 9 11 canada created a no-fly list which was conceivably to protect air travel um, but the problem was when Canada, Canadian government built that list, they built it only on the basis of name. So uh, mother's maiden name, social security number, passport number, date of birth, you know, home address, those unique identifiers that separate this Leanne Buccaro from another Leanne Buccaro. So the problem was that when they created that list only on the basis of name, anyone's name who matched a person like a terrorist or some filthy McNasty or someone in organized crime or whatever um, were flagged. And then the problem was they couldn't travel. And so when our son Adam was born, he was six weeks old and we were taking him to visit his grandparents for the first time in Halifax. Um, We're from the East coast and um, he he got flagged and, you know, we were like, you're, you're kidding. Right. And the irony of the situation is, is I, I worked at Air Canada as a flight attendant for a few years. So I have security background passes where they do, you know, ministry transport department, Homeland security background checks on you extensively because you have an airside pass. And so what happened was we, we dealt with it for years. We tried to raise it with government. And I remember one MP basically told us, you know, that's your lot in life. Like, good luck. Uh, yeah, he, he basically said, you know, when, when my parents came to this country, or my grandparents did, they had to face racism. Someone suggested your turn. Uh, so that really, oh yeah, he said this. And so when, when we left his office, it was just before the federal election, I was like, okay. And I called up his opposition and I said, I want the biggest signs that you have and my house is going to look like your headquarters. And I want all the information because I'm going to canvas everyone in my neighborhood, all 500 houses, and I'm going to vote this I'll call him person to be polite out. 
and he lost. Uh, I'm not saying it's a function of what I did, but I'd like to think I helped contribute to his demise. Um, but, um, you know, and, and and so fast forward to December 31st, 2015, a good friend and client of ours, Nevin Marquardt, who played for the Boston Bruins, invited me and Adam to see the Winter Classic in, at, at Foxborough Stadium, which was terrific. It was an incredible experience. And even though we're Montreal Canadiens fans and he was a former Bruin, it was like one of those once in a lifetime experiences and he was very gracious. So as we're all set to go and Adam's been looking forward to this for, for months, we were flying at December 31st, 2015, early morning, six o'clock flight. Uh, he got flagged again. And so now how do I explain to my six year old that you're flagged on a no fly list and you might not be able to go to the game. And it's not the agent's fault because she's just doing her job. But when she wasn't looking, I turned her screen and took a photo of it, which showed proof that he was flagged because otherwise you couldn't have that. And no one would believe me if I told them that my six-year-old's on a no-fly list. They'd be like, you're, you know, you're trying to seek attention or something to make us up. And then what I did was I tweeted it out. <laughs> yeah. And then right after I did that, we got cleared. So we quickly ran to board our flight from Halifax to Toronto. And then when we landed in Toronto to go en route to Boston, the Winter Classic, just we, before we entered US Customs, I then turned on my phone for a second just to see if there's any messages or anything. And then it blew up. Um, you know, I, I got a text from my sister and she was like, check Twitter, right at thing now. And it's all in caps. So I turned it on. I'm like, oh boy. And the tweet that I put, like, just, it went like media was all over it. Uh, a, a good friend of mine saw it and was furious and contacted an executive producer, global national and CTV jumped on it and the globe and so, you know, in that situation, I think I did what any brave person would do. I looked at my wife at age and I said, honey, go ahead and take care of this. <laughs> you know, because Amanda and our team's like, we're getting media requests from the New York Times and our inbox is flooding. And, you know, so uh, and then, you know, fortunately, my wife did handle some of the media connections because the thing was, I promised a little guy would stay off my phone as we traveled. But in the midst of the storm. And, um, and, and what happened was I kind of stumbled upon it because I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it to get that reaction. I maybe thought, but I just was like, you know, let's see, let's kind of put this out there. But then it, it just took off, you know, and next thing you know, you got like the Daily Mail in England and Le Monde in France is contacting you and Fox News and the CBC. And the bigger issue wasn't us, was that a lot of families started responding. Yeah. And not just people with the Muslim Arab name, French, Dutch, Jewish, Chinese, Italian, Polish, like you name it. Um, people with Irish names because their names match people who are in the IRA or people with Quebecois names because their names match people who are in the FLQ are flagged. And, and so this was a broader problem that the government had dismissed and said it wasn't an issue or worse, the Canadian government said it was the United States' fault, which it wasn't. Um, you know, and, and you, you hit that moment where, you know, one day you've got three television trucks in front of your house and then you're like, do I really want to do this? And in fact, it was a, a good advisor of mine, Lori Ryerson, who, who said, well, what's been the reaction of your clients so far? So like you and Alan and others. And I said, they're, they're all in. They're like, keep going. Like, this isn't right. This needs to be fixed. You know, because I was worried about blowback. And then the, 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 the other question she then asked me was, well, if a client, if a potential client would hold this against you, do you really want that person as a client? And I was like, no. And then she's like, so then what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Like, th yeah. this is bigger than you now, Solomon. This is bigger than you and Adam. 
there's a single mom out there who cannot travel someplace because her little boy's flag and she doesn't have the resource or the network or the contacts or the ability to 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 advocate for this so this is on you now like park your ego at the door this is a bit bigger and you're gonna have to see this through you know and it's like oh man like you're gonna dump this on me Lori, right like but she was right and you know and, and it was because of her and other people who advised us including you and alan that we embarked with friends of ours who became friends who families we didn't know like zamir khan sarah wilson karen ahmed um you know um david smith like the list goes on and on uh, people lauren farrar like these are people that helped us you know um Khalid al gazar who was our legal counsel pro bono for four years didn't charge us a dime and then tories got involved so folks like danny asaf and sheila block came on board <laughs> they're a big firm right like so that led to a journey where we leveraged digital linkedin and twitter to advocate for change that groups like iclmg and amnesty international had to advocate for for a decade the Canadian Civil Liberties Association for the Canadian government to fix this and the government didn't do it they, just, they didn't want to quite frankly and our group leveraging these tools put pressure because the one lesson that we learned someone told me was you weren't you're going to fail they said flat out you're not going to succeed in this because you need three things you need money you need votes and you need media and you have none of them oh so what we did have was social media and so we started with social media and then social media became an amplifier for media because then the press got all over the story and you don't want to make it about yourself so then every time a new family came forward like we put out a tweet media would jump on it do a story radio something but then more families would hear about it and they'd come forward and then we make it about them not us and so it just started to expand where the government said, oh, you're only a dozen families. And then we became like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 1,000. And ultimately it was about 100,000 was the figure. And so- And the you know, scope, we, I just wanna jump in with, with the scope of this so people understand. Even the name John Smith yep. was on the no-fly list, right? David Smith was the name on the list. Um, David Matthews is the name on the list. And, and that was interesting because there was a little kid named David Matthews. His mom was a major on active service in the Canadian Armed Forces, and his father was a retired veteran in Special Forces. And every time they traveled or for posting, he got flat. Yeah. And so these are white people. So the, the point was, it's not just one group. I think when you step on the charter rights of one group, regardless of their race, religion, sexual preference, you're stepping on the charter rights of everybody. Yeah. And so we deliberately, it was actually my wife, Adija, who said, we're, we're not making this about one group. It's about the issue about children, about everyone. And the, and the problem for some people who are listening, maybe you're wondering, well, what's the point? Is it's okay when Adam's six, but when he's 19 or 20 and he's traveling, he's flagged wrongly as a terrorist or a pedophile or a drug trafficker or whatever, what happens when he's in a foreign country and he's flagged? Yeah. Now you're getting more serious stuff, right? And that's when our charter rights are being abused. And this is because the government didn't want to put in a couple lines of code to, to, to show this because the US had a working redress system for 10 years. And so our point was, you can have false positives. And we used of the three factors, money, votes, you know, and media, social media became an amplifier for media. And then we used tools like Twitter to get attention. And then we used tools like LinkedIn because some MPs wouldn't reply to us, even though we had their contact info. 
So then what we did was we figured out using LinkedIn who was connected to them and who raised money for them. And then we contacted those people. So whereas a cabinet minister may not respond to you right away, when the person who's helping fundraise for them says the taps are being closed, they tend to contact you and text you really damn quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? But and was- so is using those pieces and then stuff like when we had to get the bill passed in Senate, Steve Croft, his father, Richard Croft, was a former senator, he gave us guidance. Like Richard gave us the whole damn playbook on how to do it, who to meet, what the process is. Because this is out of our ballpark. Like my wife said, like, we're just a bunch of nobodies from nowhere. It's like, we don't, we don't know how to advocate on a hill. Like what? You know, and we were really lucky that people, a lot of people helped us. And so over that four-year journey, um, we managed to secure two-thirds of support from the federal government, all parties. Like I had, I remember Aaron O'Toole once told me, he goes, how did you do it? Like, I can't even get part of my caucus to support stuff. And you got them all to write letters. Like, you know, and, and, and we made it a political. So we talked to every party. We weren't going to blame who was in government before. We're not going to get into that crap. There's a problem. We got to fix it. And then, so we had two-thirds support in writing. Um, we then secured uh, $81 million in the 2018 federal budget to, to build a redress system. And then we had to get a bill passed in the Senate before the writ dropped, because the way it works in politics in Canada is if the prime minister calls an election, everything that dies on the order paper until the bill passed. So we had like two weeks before the writ dropped, we got the bill passed. And then, and then in November of 2021, just last year, uh, the redress system went live. And, and, you know, that's a credit to a lot of people who worked hard, but that's where the digital tools kind of came in place. And so our point to a lot of people is if nobody's from nowhere like us can do it, there's nothing stopping you. And that's what we hope to inspire people with. And it really, I think using, and I'm not going to say it was just digital, but using all of the tools that you had at your disposal and yeah. your ability to really use digital. I mean, yeah. it, it's creative problem solving when you start contacting the people who raise the money for people, right? Like, well, I, it's funny how that works. Like if someone's helping raise your, your funding for your federal campaign and then, and then the other thing we did, and we, there were certain points where we said, we're, we're going to, we found out, people who had kids were impacted or grandkids on the list and they were raising money for certain political candidates or parties. And then basically we turn around and said to those parties, we're shutting off the taps until you get this done. You're not getting any money. Oh no, no, this is really important. Great. Get it done. And then we'll turn the taps back on. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, but that's on the advice and guidance of people a lot smarter than me who helped us, you know, um, on this journey. And, And those are people like, Zubair Patel, Flavio Volpe, and others who, who, who gave us counsel and, and guided us in situations and call it like our, our Lord. He's an Oilers fan, so I don't I tease him a little bit about that. So is Danny, but you know, okay, Oilers fans are useful to some capacity, right? And, and you know, and, and even watching someone like a, Danny like, was born there, but yeah. Yeah, he was. I, I still love him, though. And, and, and even someone like a Sheila Block, like she was just watching her in meetings with the prime minister's office. It was like watching Gretzky on ice. Yeah. I've just, it, she put on a clinic and, and the way that it was done. And so I learned a lot from that and, you know, and it, and it was tough because, you know, at some points you wonder like this took a toll, I'll be frank, uh, personally and financially on us. We didn't, and, and here's the thing, like we weren't seeking money for ourselves. Yeah. We, we, we just wanted this fix for everybody and we had to see it through for our kids and other children and, you know, it's it was fortunate that it got across the line. And, and I would say the social element that you're asking about, 
that's like 20%, like that's that tip of the iceberg. A lot of the work was underneath the water. That's when you're meeting with people and you're emailing and stuff that's not forward facing. Like just because you have a tweet that goes viral, that might be the spark, but it's not going to spread the fire. No, no. That's all the other work that comes in there. And, and so, um, you know, and, and then that led to other initiatives that my wife and I did together later on. Yeah, it, it's amazing when you, did you ever expect when that tweet went viral that it would be a five-year journey? No, I, 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 I mean, I knew I was releasing something in the wild, but I had no idea that, you know, you'd end up in, you know, on, on power and politics with Fashion Palace, or you're interviewing with the veteran reporter like Robert Fife, or, or, you know, you're in meetings with the prime minister's office, you're meeting the leader of the opposition or senators or stuff, you know, or, and not even that, like just regular Canadians where you're talking to a mom who's in tears because her child has been flagged. And, um, you know, and you, you just don't know who you meet. There was one woman, I, I can share this now, uh, Mary McGall, who was in Vancouver, her little boy, Abdelhami, was, uh, was flagged. And the MP there didn't care. Her MP didn't care, quite frankly. And we ended up helping. And here's the funny story you'll get a kick out of. And she's allowed me to share this. Like years later, um, her daughter actually married Idris Alba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's kind of funny that Idris Alba's mother-in-law is not part of her group, right? You know, <laughs> and, 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 and my point on that is that it's not just leveraging like at the C-suite or the halls of quarters or power. Like you got to help everybody. doesn't yeah. matter, right? And, and, and that goes to Lori Ryerson's point where she's like, you, you have to be a voice for other people that don't have it. This is on you now. And, yeah. you know, um, I remember asking um, one of her volunteers, uh, you know, and, and I won't say her name because she prefers to be anonymous, but I asked her, I said, you know, um, why, why are you helping us? Because you're not on the list and you don't have kids on the list. So why are you so engaged, like volunteering your time? Like I'm talking a lot of hours. And, and what she said was, you know, it's the Canadian thing to do. And she said, you know, one day, Solomon, someone might come to you for help on an issue that doesn't impact you. What, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, damn it. Like, really, you're going to throw that on me now? Like, I can't say no, right? So um, that's a function of a lot of people that, that work together and develop it, right? So, yeah. you know, that's the, uh, that's, that's, yeah. And you and Alan, like the video, maybe you can attach that later to this clip or whatever. And people can see what you, you guys created. Like, it was brilliant. So um, we're thankful for that. So it was such a small part of, of everything that you did, though. Um, yeah, but Leanne, like the inches all add up to miles, right? No, under 100%. I, I was just, I was always amazed at the number of great people that surrounded you. And like, because, it, but that comes back to you and, and Kalija, right? Is just, they're awesome people. And so people want to help, even if it doesn't impact them. So, which is why we were all in for that video, for the, the, the journey video, and then the actual success, right? Like, I mean, no. was there more that we could do? I don't know. Like we said to you, open door, tell us what you need. And we're yeah. happy to do it because we, maybe it's Canadian. I think probably that's part of it, but I think it's also the people involved and everybody I met, like, even when I went to sign that document. Yeah. Yeah. Karen. It, it was like, everybody's amazing. 
right? Yeah, like, uh, no, and I, I, I think that's how you build a, a movement or a team or an organization. Like, and, and, and I still thank people who helped us back then. It's one thing when maybe you start to roll and you're established, but when you're, like my wife says, Khadija says, like you're nobody from nowhere, who was there then? And do you remember those people? And do you still keep in touch with those people? And do you still support those people because they supported you? You know, exactly. Um, I like that quote from from that TV series Suits. Um, you know, where Harvey Specter says, "Like loyalty is a two way street. If I'm asking it from you, you're getting it from me." Yeah. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Stay tuned for part two.